about Britain 200 Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making one of her regular appearances in the program. One of her regular appearances. She has formerly contributed to Mariners SB Nation blog, Lookout Landing, and also Baseball Respect, as she currently serves as the managing editor of the Hardball Times. It's Meg Rowley. Meg Rowley is the guest. And on this edition of the program, as she frequently does, what Rowley does is to explore the wild frontiers of the game. The wild frontiers of the game. Beginning with a discussion on the rules of that game. La règle de jeu. One might say if one were endeavoring to speak French poorly. Uh, not just that, but how much fretting is appropriate over those rules. Both for Commissioner Rob Manfred publicly and we tiny people privately. Uh, also, I present a poorly constructed metaphor to rally involving the Maginot Line. That is a line of fortifications built by France on its border with Germany between the world's war, between world world wars, world's war. In any case, I present that poorly constructed metaphor to her and force her to do something with it. Uh, finally, more than you might expect about Mike Zunino, or in light of the guest, precisely the amount of conversation you might expect about Mike Zunino. Also in addition to the program, I ask Rally, uh, based on the conduct of this program's host, what conclusions she might reach about that host's parents. Here's her hurtful reply. I, I don't want to speak ill of, of people who I don't know. That example of painful honesty and others like it to follow. Uh, before we get to that conversation, however, it is both my privilege and also my professional obligation to announce that Fangraphs memberships exist. For a reasonable sum, readers of Fangraphs.com could support the great work that appears in those electronic pages. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, not unreasonable, people say, uh, but slightly less reasonable, what one can do is to acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads. Not only facilitating faster loading speeds, but also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertising. It's both tyrannical and distortive, this advertising people are talking about. And one can free oneself from both uh, simply by acquiring an ad-free membership. Fangraphs membership and ad-free membership available by going to Fangraphs.com, the website Fangraphs.com, and click, 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 and then you find it. That's it. With that advertisement now complete, let us move on to our conversation. What is it? It's Fangraphs Audio. Who does the future? Managing it at the Hardball Times. Meg Rowley on the wild frontiers of baseball. And when does it begin? Right now. Do you feel as though you are consuming a product when you are watching baseball or thinking about baseball? Frequently, now listen, that's a, all right, <laughs> disclaimer. Everything I say is naive. Sure. <laughs> okay, you, you, you agree with that? You're famously naive, Carson. Thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaning into it. It's obviously from a certain group, possibly the marketing department and MLB.com and all the various major league teams regarded all as a product, right? Sure. I think there's another argument we could say is that they're just desperately hoping to extract some sort of, uh, to, to monetize this thing that without them would exist and people would love anyway, right? They're essentially, they're, um, <laughs> they're parasites. They're friendly parasites, but they're parasites. Because you say, I love watching these games here are people acting out the human condition in ritual form on a daily night 
Yeah. And I get to enjoy it. I feel like a king or a queen or some other manner of royalty. Yeah. So that's the other that's the other interpretation. But I remember like watching the early days of Major League Soccer, for example, mm. and it always felt like a product. Yeah. I felt like, especially listening to Jack Edwards, who I think is a good hockey broadcaster, but listening to him broadcast soccer, the way he would be like, edit, he rifles the shot. He would like use like a certain inflection of voice where it seemed like I was being sold something. Yeah. And so that actually made it, that made the, the sport less interesting to me because I was felt it was like, you know, you want to have some mystery. You want to be, you want, you, you want to have a bit of, um, any product should, should have, a, should give off a little bit of a sense. Like we don't need you. Right. So to you, Meg Rowley, I pose the most important question of the century. <laughs> When you're watching baseball sometimes, do you feel like it's being sold to you or do you feel or do you generally feel as though you are kind of you are authoring your experience as a fan, as a writer, et cetera? Um, I feel the most like it's being sold to me when I get at bat notifications. I I don't want to speak ill of, of people who I don't know. And I'm sure that they are, as you as you seem to be alluding, under, you know, a terrific amount of pressure to to monetize a thing. Uh, that we all are inclined to like anyway. I've noticed that um, some of the the notifications I've gotten in the last, I, I'd say it's gotten worse puts more of a judgment on it than I maybe mean to. It has escalated. This attribute has, has uh, deepened, shall we say, in the last year, which is that they seem very superlative happy. There's a lot of caps, all caps. Mm-hmm. You won't believe you what won't believe. you've seen. And I'm like, I don't know. I've watched a lot of baseball. I probably yeah. will believe it. I mean, yeah. yeah, or to the alternative, I'm a Buddhist. I don't believe anything. I think it's all an illusion. Well, and and to your point, like there, there's a there's a lot of baseball that doesn't need selling. Like there's a lot of baseball that's weird. I I tend to traffic in the weird, mm-hmm. which is maybe why I'm able to have a more. And I don't say this like that I'm so fancy or evolved in my thinking, but why I can sometimes feel like I have less of a commercial experience of it than maybe others do because. I'm looking at the weird stuff in like the interstitial mm-hmm. space between pitches. Like, look at the funny face that dude made. Or uh, do you ever? Uh, have, what about farts and poops, Meg Rally? Man, what a weird. This is uh, this is a yeah. thing that I'm going to have to talk more about with my family. I imagine mm-hmm. yeah. as I get up. Therapist, I think, is another another person it's, who's going to have to be roped into that conversation. It's funny how two things, two things, mm-hmm. is enough things to make yeah. this, you know, sort of a, a strongly associated thing with me. Like this mm-hmm. is a thing that people, speaking of brands, were to. <laughs> to be thought to have a brand. This is part of my brand now, mm-hmm. which is wild. Yeah. To the point that when you may recall, I know that you have been very preoccupied in the last couple of weeks with all of the 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 many words at Fangraphs. Oh, so many words. So many words, and you've been doing just a great job, Carson. Oh. <laughs> just such a fabulous job. Really, really helping folks out. But so you may not have uh, seen this particular moment. It also happened. I hope after you went to bed, but you may recall that a couple of weeks ago the Astros won a, a walk-off in very strange fashion where Alex Bregman appeared to dance out of the way of a tag by Jonathan Lucroy and then Lucroy threw to first you know in a move that should have um, not ended the game but at least um, made it so that the the Astros would have two outs in the ninth and would be presumably about to lose but his throw was errant, and so a run scored, and the Astros won. Right. And yes, I saw this uh, madcap ending. 
Yeah, very strange. You know, worthy of all caps, actually. An Mm -hmm. all caps worthy incident. This should be the bar that we use in notifications. And when that happened, I joked on Twitter using a very familiar and very cheap construct that I felt bad for Jonathan Lucroy, but this was tremendous content. And as soon as I tweeted that, someone earnestly responded to me, oh no, did he poop? And that was when I realized that things had gone somewhere along the way very wrong. Very, very wrong. I had strayed very far from God's light. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, I I just, it's amazing. Baseball players are so amazing. And that was really the part of that whole incident that I took away, which mm-hmm. is that, you know, you know, he looks a little uncomfortable on the mound, Archie Bradley did, if you go back and look as I documented wait why was he uncomfortable on the mound because he had literally pooped himself he just pooped his (laughs) he had pooped his pants i think i set a land speed record for use of poop in a fangraphs post with that post but yeah so he had pooped himself and uh you should should read uh dave cameron's early scatological work though (laughs) 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 metrics etc yeah yeah so so I imagine that would be very uncomfortable. You would be very self-conscious. They were wearing the home whites. And so at least on the bottom, he had white pants. And so I would imagine just being terrified every single second that it would become apparent that you had pooped yourself and that we would all joke about it. What color? Hey, if the KKK were to have a baseball team, what color would they wear on the road? <laughs> Red. <laughs> right? Don't their horrifying leaders who adopt? Oh, I think there are some red. Yeah, yeah, who adopt yeah, yeah. names like wizard and grandmaster. Yeah, right. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. No, yeah. They, they've basically. Uh, it's basically all of the same terminology as as Harry Potter, but it's um, le- more dangerous for your children, presumably. Yeah, but they right. would definitely wear home whites. Can we agree? Oh yeah, for sure. Can we? They everyone. Might- that, that's insist. a unifying theme. They they think that we think that. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 continue about what you're going to say about the KKK. <laughs> oh, and now I hate to transition to Archie Bradley, who seems quite removed from no, all of that. No, he seems fine. He seems fine. He just pooped his pants. He that's just fine. pooped his pants. Yeah. So he filled his pants. You could say that too. You don't have to say the word poop. Yeah. But it, I don't know, well, I don't know that that is an accurate description of what he did because it had, as I noted, had to have been. Anyway, it had to have been a very small amount of mm-hmm. uh, excrement, yeah, ex- yeah, which somehow sounds worse than no, poop. Yeah, and right. I sometimes the Latin, yeah, sometimes the Latin word does sound. Uh, yeah, and I, you know, I was not able to, D- Dylan. I'm about to swear. I was not able to use in that post, mm-hmm. you know, because we have standards we do. at Fangraphs.com. Clearly, as as your post reveals, very high standards. Uh, mm-hmm. So. Anyway, what was I going to say? Oh, but so it's just, you know, it's amazing that he went out and he he pitched he pitched fine and he mm-hmm. he looked in hindsight uncomfortable at moments, but not like dramatically so. And uh and so it just goes to show that you never know what's going on with these guys and they often do a really amazing job anyhow. And I just find that very uh I walked away from that whole incident, hoping that we could remember that we don't know what is going on with people all the time and having compassion for, you know, conditions that we might not be able to detect with the naked eye. I fully agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Would reach that conclusion. It is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Isn't it? Sure is. Very challenging. I did not read in full <laughs> Meg Rally. 
Joshua Rothman's piece for The New Yorker titled, Are Things Getting Better or Worse? Ah. However, I did read the first page sure. of it. And my wife, who did read it in full, I feel like I got the vibe, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And he says that one problem in our discourse, he identifies one problem in our discourse, and I think it's borne out uh, in, some, in somewhat rigorous fashion, he cites, is that um, when we talk about people who are others, mm-hmm. we only tend to identify the worst version of that other, yeah. which, which might represent a minority of that group, but also the one that on which we, get most, we can get most fixated. Yeah. I think that that is true. Can I read the passage from it? Yeah, please do. On the left, all right, so here it is. Here it is. Here it is. <laughs> here it is. Uh, here it is. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Progressives fear the stereotypical paranoid conservative, a nativist arsenal-assembling prepper whose worldview has been formed by Fox News, the NRA, and The Walking Dead. Militant progressives and pre-apocalyptic conservatives have an outsized presence in our imaginations. They are the boogeymen in narratives about our mounting nihilism. We've come to fear each other's fear. We've come to fear each other's fear. We've come yeah. to fear each other's fear. Yeah. Oh, I think that's interesting. Yeah. That's a nice yeah. little point. Do you know what he, he points out uh, objectively, and I think he cites Steven Pinker in, in this, and I assume the research is uh, good research. I don't know. I don't know anything, so that's fine. Well, you're famous. Uh, the world naive. is objectively better. Yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. So I think that that is, uh, that is true. And also. And also. And also. And I am not saying that you are doing this or even that this piece is doing this, but I have seen that observation sort of weaponized to tell people who are looking at the parts that aren't still great yeah. to shut up. Well, so that, so that yeah. part is concerning to me, but so, so it is you br- true. you bring up a great point, yeah. Meg Rowley. How do we both uh, maintain some sort of equanimity? And I'm not suggesting that optimism is necessary, but... If you if you were merely to survey the facts that there is generally an upward trend line, you'd have to say you'd have to be somewhat optimistic. You'd say things yeah. are likely to get better from the point where we stand right now. However, you'd also have to acknowledge that uh, things are never fantastic for everyone, and right. also that probably some of that upward movement is by virtue of contributions of concerned citizens. Yes, right, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, this is, I don't mean to trivialize what is a very um, scary problem, but it's, you know, it's sort of a weird thing that we've seen in our lifetime. Like, I remember, you know, we're, you and I are a little, uh, a little ways apart, but not a huge ways apart in terms of our age. I would say that we are peers in a, in an age group, right? We are in the same generation of I'm, folks. I'm proud to be your peer. Uh, uh thanks. Yeah. And I remember watching movies as a young person, and it's like a lot of the bad guys were Nazis, and this was like a settled thing. And we were like, yeah, that Nazi's going to get it. And we were like, yeah, he got it. And we felt good about that because he was a Nazi. And now there's been some movement on that question. Yeah, it's right. it's very concerning. You, um, you were watching Indiana Jones. Then. Exactly. And I was like, yeah. I know who the bad guy is. Steven yeah. Spielberg has gone out of his way to demonstrate who the bad guy is. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I think that people watched those movies and were like very confused about who the bad guy was. 
<laughs> or it's like my my dad is a is a a tech a Nazi. sort. What? No. No. Is a tech sort, you know, oh, he works in in tech and he is also my parents had me when they were quite young and so he is young to have a a 32-year-old daughter. Mm. And so he plays video games. And I have always, you know, I was told from a very young age the video games they rot your brain. They rot your brain, they make you crazy, they rot your brain. Not and by that, him, I assume. Not by him. And no. You know, I don't think they do as much harm as all that. But so I've been sort of skeptical of them. And w- and one time I asked Dad, I was like, Dad, what are you what are you playing? What are you playing there? And he was playing um, some World War Two game. He's like, I'm killing Nazis. And I was like, Okay, cool. And I walked away unconcerned that his brain was not rotted because he was, you know, he's fighting a good fight against an obviously evil thing. So I don't is know that, what... Is uh, that, that's the litmus test for whether the brain is rotted, rotted or yeah, not? Yeah, it's like, oh no, you're killing Nazis, you're doing great. It's a one question exam. Yeah. Well, you know, the world is so complicated, we have to make it simpler. We do have to make it simpler. And that's when we start, that's when we start uh, perverting reality, though. Yeah. So I think the answer is that we all have to talk we about... To perver- we all have to pervert reality. No, we have to talk about stuff a lot. Ugh, I know. And we can acknowledge progress. Like, pretty cool we don't die of plague very much anymore. Yeah, almost zero times. That rocks really hard. Super mm-hmm. great. We don't have to worry about polio. Mm-hmm. Love that. think that the general, like, thrust toward acknowledging human dignity, pretty rad. Yeah, your opinion. Okay. And still some work to be done. And those things can coexist with one another. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. They can. It makes you wonder, you know, how much intervention is necessary to continue the progress. Yeah. That's a that's a baseball question too, I guess. You know, we Yeah, we, if we have to ask it. We think about that in baseball quite a bit, like how how much meddling do uh, we think is appropriate? Do we need to ban the shift or just show that it doesn't work quite as well as we thought and count on teams scaling? Ugh. I will say that. Uh, no, I'm not really that upset. <laughs> the, the, the notion of banning the shift, though, does seem to me to be. Well, uh, Alexis LaMarche. Yeah. July, July resident Alexis LaMarche were on this. Did a fantastic job talking about yeah, that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's. Uh, you don't, you don't, don't you want to, don't you want to allow teams to cultivate ideas? Yeah. And uh, use, work at the. Work at the height of their intelligence. Yeah. You want teams to do that. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I'm sympathetic to the the inclination to fret about stuff. I think mm-hmm. that in our conversation around Commissioner Manfred's tenure as commissioner, people, you know, liken to to do a funny and make some jokes have, have talked about whether he is, in fact, a fan of the game that he is entrusted with. Mm-hmm. And I get why that joke is funny and why, you know, Raz and him is, is a good time because, you know, mm-hmm. he's a, a dude in a position of power. It's always a good time to razz mm-hmm. those sorts, but um, yeah, that, yeah. Well, I have one of my favorite pastimes is speaking truth to power. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very important. Yeah, for the progress that we discussed, mm-hmm. but I think that sometimes we we fret too much about his fretting. It's like he's that's his job. His job is to worry about the game, and and we might you know want him to worry about it in a different way and worry about different stuff. I know I sometimes do, and I agree with you that like banning the shift seems pretty goofy but you know i think that you can in a way that is earnest and well and sort of properly motivated motivated toward good ends be like is this working 
Because the game is actually pretty good at self-correcting if it needs to. I mean, like, remember in, like, 2014 when there was, like, all that transfer rule nonsense? Yes, it was, uh, right. I think I don't think it lasted for more than a month, did it? It didn't. Like, yeah. they were immediately like, oh, we messed this up. We got to fix this. So yeah. when when properly motivated, the game can actually be really responsive when it needs to be. And I think that other times it it's content to sort of let stuff play out and see over a longer period if it's really a problem. And I hope they look at the mm. shift more as the, the latter than the former. Although it's weird that they haven't fixed the coming off the bag for a hot second replay issue. So maybe yeah. they aren't quite as good at it as I'm giving them credit for. Who would you let decide... The hot second, would that be the umpires or would that be? Well, I think when he was still at Fangraphs, Dave had a pretty compelling, like, establish a safe zone above the bag idea, right? right? Yeah. Which would mean that it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be reviewable under those confines or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that was a, that was a good idea. Right. Yeah. He had a good idea. uh, You probably run into some other ambiguities along the way, but generally coming off the bag for a single moment. It, it was something that players did for a long time, yep. probably, and the sort of measurements we're discussing here are they're basic, they're almost invisible to the naked eye. Yeah. And if it's something that can only be sussed out by way of um, slow motion replay, then it's not in the spirit of the rule, I suppose. Is the yeah. Idea. I think yeah. that was Well, the... that, that's one challenge I fi- uh, think that humans contend with constantly, right, is... Uh, Attempting to construct the rules in such a way that the application of those rules ensures the spirit in which they were written, right? Right. Is that if I said have I said something? I think I have. The, oh, I think uh, that it is a great challenge. Yeah, because you have to to write them such that uh, they they won't be perverted or that they will not be that there's not a sort of literal interpretation of the rule that obscures the the reasons why it was written in the first place, right? Right. And and you know, I think especially at at the edges, it can be it can be challenging because you want to write rules. This is true in baseball. It's true in in law. You know, there is a virtue to simplicity to interpretation, right? Because you want you want the rules to govern the action on the field, but you don't want them to be so complicated that they require constant appeal to an authority because it slows the game down. Right. So you want you want guys to understand and be able to understand very quickly. Am I out or am I safe? Is this legal or illegal? Is this contact, you know, something is this version of a slide something I'm allowed to do or not? Because if you if you write your rules in such a complicated manner that you then constantly have to appeal to the replay center, you're you're going to jam up, you know, you're you're gumming up the gears. Is that an expression? Gumming up. You're coming up the works. Coming up the works. There you go. Yeah. So you need them to be simple in order for the game to sort of proceed the way that it's supposed to. But by doing that, you are inherently leaving the edges sort of unguarded in terms of um, your ability to to do what you need to on the field without you know calling. It's not. Is it in? Is it in New York proper or is it in New Jersey? You've been there, right? The replay center, didn't you? Oh, guys? it's in New York proper. I believe okay. it's in Chelsea. Yeah. Okay. I've actually been in inside. You've been the there, center. right? Yeah, I think I have. Yeah. Yeah. Just one. <laughs> it's weird that I know that hey, and I'm confident been... about it, and that you aren't. 
Allow me to jump in for a moment. Yeah, I've been there before. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah. you've been there. I remember hearing. I was not yet an employee of Fangraphs, but I remember yeah. hearing Fangraphs employees talking about that when when we all did our little uh, trip to Staten Island that I got to right, join. Right, you were there. You were I a person there. who was there. Yeah, you and Emma Spann were there, and Jay Jaffe was there in the back of the room. I think we have hired almost everyone who participated in that panel. That's right. Or at least a member of their household. Right. Pretty much everyone. If you were to discuss rules, do you think you could use... Are you familiar with what I believe is known as the Maginot line? I don't know if I am. The Maginot line is... Uh, here's something I'll explain incorrectly. Cool. Uh, after World War One, France sensed that Germany wasn't done. Yeah. <laughs> and, Good intuition. Uh, it's true. You gotta listen to you gotta listen when the when the hairs on your arms stand up. It's your body telling you something. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it saying hey, look geopolitics all, too. Hey, look at all these hairs. Like, oh, something's um, going on. Yeah. Row. I'm sending you a link so you can follow along at home. Uh, but the Maginot Line, again explained incorrectly, oh. uh, was a response to France's sense oh, that yes. Germany was not necessarily going to comply by some of the um, terms of the armistice from World right. War One, And so, and I think that when maybe Germany violated some of the more minor terms of the agreement, France was like, we have to be swift in our punishment. Mm-hmm. And England was like, no. Yeah. You shouldn't be. And I forget why. And it doesn't matter because this is so long ago right now. But France was like, Ugh. because France is not very confident about their ability to be Germany, because Germany's got like three times as many people as they do. Again, And also prescient. France, what's that? Prussian. Yeah. And also France was kind of effed up after World War One because all that happened and a lot of it happened in France, yeah. whereas uh, Germany, uh, they, you know, most of their whatever. Right. The buildings were still standing. Correct. So France is like, okay, Germany's over there. We're going to build a wall or something like a wall or forts along essentially like the 50 percent of the south like say if you if, if you look at the border between france and the border between france and belgium border between france and germany the southern 50 percent of that was like strong fortifications the top 50 percent was kind of weak essentially they wanted to invite germany into through the through a forest got it yeah but and then germany eventually attacked them through the forest and uh they won <laughs> they won anyway yeah. Yeah. So it didn't work out so good. So I guess they didn't have a strong enough line or whatever. But the point is that uh, it reminded me of uh, working on the fringes. Mm-hmm. The fringes of the Maginot line were that forest, I guess. But ignoring the fringes ruined France. Yeah. So maybe... I always forget where Strasbourg is. <laughs> That's not relevant to this conversation. Yeah. I mean, you got to... You got to have a, it's important to have the, you know, either written down or as institutional knowledge or what, I mean, you have to agree on the edge cases because all of baseball is pretend, right? I mean, like it happens, like we aren't right. collectively imagining baseball as a construct, but like the, the rules of baseball are pretend. We made them all up. We made them all up. They are not divine. Uh, they were not handed down in any kind of rigorous way. It's not gravity. It's all made up, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's important because it is all made up that we figure out ways to to litigate in a in a quick and effective way those edge cases because 
I think that a lot of a lot of us fear two things. We fear our time being wasted and we fear being duped. Cuz mm-hmm. being duped is embarrassing, right? You don't want to fall for a con. You feel embarrassed when you do that. Mm-hmm. And you should cuz it's embarrassing. So, it ends up being really important that the game can figure out can provide a sense to us the viewer that the people who are governing it know what they're doing all the time because if they don't we stop trusting it and we worry that we have been duped and also that our time has been wasted and so i think that i think that in a very quiet way the most like threatening like the most pressing existential threat to baseball is when umpires stand on the field and doesn't happen very often but when umpires stand on the field and look confused that's like that's the greatest threat to baseball oh right because it's like what hey do you know the rules of this game it's like you don't know i don't know you should know like we are relying on you to tell us what a balk is because no one actually knows no one knows i mean Mm. they know but they don't really know right they don't know so i think um i think actually can i tell you what I've yeah. never been enough. I've never once actually umpired a game. Me either. But I've been in, I've been like for minutes at a time. I've been the one in charge of enforcing the rules. Yes. And I feel like I feel like there's so much incentive not to call Bach because it's just like oh, yeah, it's a huge hassle. You know that it's like how how flagrant was it? Because if it wasn't, right. then I prefer not to say anything because everyone's gonna yell at me. Well, so it's funny. I was uh, I was discussing something sort of adjacent to this with uh, with, with Kylie because uh, this will have been several days ago by the time this podcast comes out, which is just a fact of podcasting and is not in any way commentary on your ability to turn around podcasts. So I don't know if you know this, but yesterday in a game that ended up getting called uh, and postponed very early that the Red Sox were playing uh, against the Orioles – there was a moment in the outfield where Stephen Pierce was going to catch a ball, just a pop-up, and it looked, I think it was in foul territory, so it did not result in a hit, but he was he was going to catch the ball, and he backed off it suddenly at the last second, and it was very strange. And if you listen back to the tape, it's clear that a fan called out, mine, mine, and he, <laughs> a professional baseball player, thought that instead of being uh, a fan, that it was Mookie Betts, which as an aside, uh, having heard Mookie Betts talk and having heard this fan, they don't sound at all the same. So mm. he should be embarrassed about that. But also at the same well, time, to, he hasn't been on the team. Very he hasn't long. been on the team for very long. So, you know, he was just reacting. Poor Steve Pierce. And, Poor Steve Pierce. and like the moment at which he realizes that this has happened is, is just hilarious and I was saying t- to Kylie, because I saw Kylie retweet it, that's how I learned that this had happened. I am shocked that more, first of all, that fans don't call out to players more in more specific ways. Because they like yell at them generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't, I think, aren't strategic about how they yell at them. Like they should try to do this more. And I am amazed that every time a pitcher throws a pitch, that every fan doesn't yell that it's a balk because they'd probably be right sometimes. They'd probably be right a couple of times and they might induce one, maybe, right? Because, like, we don't know. We don't really know. It's to your point. Like, it's got to be real, 
real clear that that's what it is. And a lot of the time it's not, and they call it anyway. So fans should yell that more. I believe at one point Alex Rodriguez yelled, I got it. Indeed. Yes. Yes. He duped some people. He duped. He duped, uh, I think, uh, someone on the Blue Jays. Yeah, it was the Blue Jays. Yeah. John McDonald, uh, the video reveals to me at the moment, was not happy about it. I mean, I would be pissed because it's quite embarrassing. It's pretty people see you. Yeah, but, you know, listen, I have, I have a prescription for the world. Yeah. Meg Rowley. What's that? And uh, it's that just get accustomed to the fact that by virtue of the fact that you have a human body, you are supremely, you are humiliatable. Oh, yeah. Prone to, I mean, you know, we've seen this, the pooping. Your your body just betrays you at random moments. Yeah. Or every day, all day. Right. Yeah. It's so embarrassing to have one of these bodies. Yeah. You make funny sounds. You emit weird smells. Oh, boy. Can't wait till I'm an angel. Presumptuous, isn't it? I don't know. You're a pretty nice guy. Do you think that, uh, how do you think Socrates felt when he went to uh, that sort of weird nether area in Dante's Inferno? And then uh, they were like, yeah, you got to go here because you don't believe in uh, Jesus, right? And then Socrates like, Jesus isn't alive yet. <laughs> that was Dante's Dante's vision of hell was there was a whole layer for people who I guess were didn't have the fortune of having been bef- before and before Jesus. So he's like, you guys have this. It wasn't the worst. Right. It was fine. You right. Know what I mean, it wasn't great. They just were not allowed to um, to experience the, the highs of paradise. Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, on the one hand, there's something to them acknowledging, like, this is an inherently unfair thing we're doing to you. Mm-hmm. I guess that's good. But also... It's like, it's pretty unfair. It's pretty unfair. Here's a question, and I want you to answer with with, uh, complete confidence. Never betraying the fact that uh, you really don't know. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Dante's Inferno is a widely read book. Yes. I've read it, I think, twice. I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying it's it's been put in my hands, or I was like, ooh, hell. That was kind of my response. (laughs) I've never once read Paradise, have no Mm -hmm. inclination to read it, and uh, I basically, with the exception of probably graduate literature students, I'm not sure if, if I know anyone who's read Paradise. I haven't read it. Is that a comment on the human condition? Answer confidently now, Meg Rowley. No. Oh, okay. Is it just a worst, is it a worst book? Do we know? I don't, I mean, I literally can't speak to that. Mm-hmm. I have only How many read downloads Inferno. has it gotten, has Paradise gotten compared to Inferno? Probably a lot because people make a mistake and uh, download one when they mean to download the other. Yeah, that's true. I think that that probably happens a yeah. fair amount. I mean, this is like in political science where everyone has read A Wealth of Nations, but very few people have read A Theory of Moral Sentiment. And so their understanding of Adam Smith is quite incomplete. And it's hey, really, you, uh, it's really uh, irritating. I'd like to learn something right now, especially without having to read either of those texts. I believe Wealth of Nations, is that the text for which Adam Smith is most well known? It is his most famous text, yes. Is that, uh, is that subtitled Go Capitalism? Um, yeah, pretty okay, sure. All right. This other one, this other text that you've cited, though, say the name of it again. A Theory of Moral Sentiments. Ooh. Oh boy! I, like I think it's. Words. I think it's technically the theory of moral sentiments. 
No, he's leaving no room for ambiguity. And it preceded, if I'm not mistaken, it preceded the Wealth of Nations. Yeah, would you say by like 17 years or so? Uh... Like, no, if you're I think, just gonna... yeah, I think about that long. Or you're you you're Wikipediaing things, aren't you? Yeah. Can, can I respond to that? But tell me what tell me what's what happens in Theory of Mortal Sentiments by Adam Smith. I mean, he's basically... no. Listen, if you say one word about it, it will be more than I know. So, so he he is he is uh, he is laying out. Uh, gosh. I don't know that any of the people I went to grad school would listen to this podcast, but if they are, they're like yelling at me because we did a whole seminar on this and I've forgotten quite a bit of it. But basically, uh, you know. Did, we, did, I just, did I just command you? Did I just prescribe to you to be ready for humiliation at any point? Yeah, I know, but yeah. I should. Basically, he talks about he talks about humanity being inclined to a general sense of, of sympathy it basically invites us to have the imagination to imagine how we ourselves would feel in any given situation, even though we may not have experienced uh, those situations, but we we have the imaginative capacity to imagine what it would feel like. And I think that he then hopes that we... Uh, uh, will will have some degree of of compassion and uh, moral obligation toward our fellow human in a way that I think if we read that in com- in combination with the wealth of nations would suggest that he is not so indifferent to uh, uh, humanity as to leave them open to the you know the whims of the invisible hand of the market as it were. Basically, he thinks that we have to do a lot more for our fellow people than you would necessarily assume just by reading uh, Wealth of Nations. And I said all of those things to people who I worked with in finance, and they told me to go to grad school because they had only read a little bit of Wealth of Nations, and then they went to Wall Street. That's my story. And I said, you haven't read widely. And they said, we know and we don't care. And then you're like, ah, shame is, shame would be better. Yeah. Shame, does, uh, does that, does Adam Smith discuss the import of shame at all? I don't remember. Probably. It's, I mean, the Theory of Moral Sentiments is like two honking big books. And I have not read all of them, so I will not lay claim to that. If I had, I probably would remember them better than I'm uh, doing right now. Oh, yeah. It's interesting. Oh, I don't know if it's all right. I don't know if it's interesting. I can't. Det- I'm not going to be the one to decide that, or maybe I'm the only one to decide that. Uh-huh. No, that's interesting too. Hey, hey, I think that some of the the points in your summary of of theory of moral sentiments, moral sentiments, moral yeah. sentiments are yeah. well. There's some overlap, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. The uh, I think humans, I think humans do that frequently on their own too. Yeah. If if listening to Radiolab for 10 or so years has taught me anything it's it's that you know humans like uh, we're hardwired to f- to feel sympathy a little bit mm-hmm. but maybe he's saying you'll take that feeling and then be better about it yeah i think um i think humans carry great capacity for that but they also carry a lot of capacity to just be terrible monsters yeah. so hell is a thing <laughs> yeah oh uh, you know what as we're talking here and this is going to Immediately reveal how slothful I've been in turning this edition of Fake Ghost Audio around. Joke of Soria has been traded. Mm-hmm. 
Mm, Jay Happ has been traded. Oh, did that did that end up hap? Oh no, I didn't even mean to do it. I didn't even mean to. He's got a dumb name. <laughs> I didn't even mean to. No, you, you, no. You, really, you lashed out as soon as you got caught. Ah! You're you're a scary little animal. I would like are. to point out to everyone who was like Meg did a pun that I know, and I am sorry. I didn't mean to. Mm. I'm not a big fan of all these trades. <laughs> well, it's kept you very busy. Yeah, I don't. Uh, Dylan Higgins is going to be covering these because. He's actually editing this, and he also edited the piece on Hap. And what did we do? We gave Nothing. him more work to do. We gave him more work to do. Yeah. Monsters. Who did Hap end up going to? That Was it the Yankees? It is the Yankees. Yep. Interesting. Billy McKinney and Brandon Drury says... Oh. Reports. Sure. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm looking at Twitter now. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. So there you go. Billy McKinney. That's a very baseball player kind of name. Yeah. I believe he was at one point, uh, he was a player in the Cubs system. He might have been, he might have somehow gone, he might have been part of the Aroldis Chapman trade. Mm. In fact, before that, he was in the A system. So he's uh, he's moved around a little bit. Although, I think he's has some promise. I don't know. Yeah. So and and, and Soria went to the Brewers. Yeah. yeah. Martin Maldonado went somewhere too. The Astros went to the Astros, which I wonder how much of that is them being like, oh, maybe Brian McCann doesn't feel good still. Because Stasi's been pretty good, right? Am I making that up? I could be. Yeah. That's okay. Let's We'll leave that an open-ended question. Okay. Uh, you, it, he's been decent enough that you suspected it for a little bit. And the answer uh, objectively is yes. Uh, he has been good. Who knows? Who knows about the pitch framing? But uh, who uh, does know? Yeah, the, the other numbers have been fine. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of trades. A lot of teams trading up, trading up, trade, 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 trade. Yeah, but like in a in a in a small way, generally, mm-hmm. right? I mean, apart from Machado, it's just been kind of, you know, upgrades around the margins. Although, although the the Cleveland deal, I think, is a pretty will end up being quite important to them if they, well, especially with the years left on uh, Brad Hand's deal in particular, and of course Mejia was. Uh, uh, well, Mejia, I think, uh, is somewhat of a divisive prospect. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I, well, catchers are difficult in general. Yeah, it, they're really they're hard. Quite, and uh, um, I know that you have spent some. You spent some time uh, with uh, Jesus Montero in front of your face. Sure right. did, although not catching for too much of that. Right, and that's yep. That was part of the problem. Yep, and that is part of the problem. Yep, because if you say here's a guy and he has X offensive skills, and you say if this player were to become a league average catcher, if he were to combine it with these offensive skills, which say are league average or whatever, right, mm-hmm. or just a little bit under, you'd say that's great. Yep. But if this same player proved unable to play catcher in a reliable way in a way sufficient for our organization then i mean the next step for most catchers is first base yeah and that is a long tumble down the defensive spectrum yeah and given how i don't want to speak out of turn clearly eric or kylie could speak to this uh, with greater depth of knowledge than i could but you know you end up in this position where i think we have a lot of young guys who as soon as they show promise 
with the bat get moved off of catcher. And so you have a pool of people whose uh, offensive acumen is maybe more limited to begin with. I mean, when you look at the leaderboards for for catcher, it's just a real who's who of guys who are just not hitting all that well. So, (laughs) you know, because it's a hard position. It's hard on your body. Messes you up. So... You know, you have guys at like the the top of our leaderboards who are doing well, but they're a small crop. And so you end up with guys who aren't very good at hitting. And then if they can't figure out the receiving or the game calling part, are just kind of useless. Like if, you know, if Mike Zanino's defense goes, he probably doesn't have a spot on a major league roster just given where the bat is. So it's it can be, as you said, quite the quite the tumble. I mean, there's a reason that they moved Bryce Harper off of catcher, right? Right, and also tr- attempting to get his his bat to the major leagues more quickly. Correct. Hey, correct. Hey, tell me about Mike Zunino's bat these days. Oh, Carson, it's real bad. I mean, he's been hurt, so he was on the disabled list. At the beginning of the year, and then he came back, and it wasn't great, and then he, like, screwed up his ankle and was out for four weeks. So he's just recently, like, within the last couple of days, call it a week when listeners are listening to this, like a week, week and a half, just recently back. So, you know, maybe it'll turn around a little bit. It has not been good, and he has been without the sort of prototypical Mike Zanino. He hits like a god for two weeks and hits a billion dingers. So it's not great. He's got a 75 WRC+. plus. He's striking out 38% of the time. It's not the best. He does have 12 home runs. I mean, he is one of the strongest human people I've ever seen play baseball. Mm-hmm. But... The zone where he can do anything at all with a pitch is just very, very small. So, I don't know. He was a lot better when he came back from AAA last year, and that was very encouraging. And this is going to be a weird kind of lost season because there was so much time where he was not around. You know, he's played 63 games so far. Hey. So, I don't know, man. Hey. Hey. You, uh, have you noticed as someone who follows the the Seattle Mariners with some with some care? Have you noticed that the Oakland Athletics are catching up? Oh my gosh, they aren't they? Aren't mm. they ever? Oh yeah, yeah, they're they're right there. I mean, we have on this the twenty sixth of July, we still have the Mariners playoff odds at fifty six percent, but the A's have upped theirs to forty two point two percent on July fifth. The Mariners had an 88% chance of going to the playoffs. And uh, what did I say? July 5th? Was that yeah, sure. Day? Something like that. Uh, it was like 9% for Oakland. So, you know, that's crazy. Things are changing. Things are changing. Things are changing. People are changing. Yeah. I mean, the A's are slightly, I think, in this last little run, they have been playing better than what we projected them to be playing. Mm -hmm. A a thing that Mariners fans surely shouldn't complain about, but I'm certain will anyway, because uh, Mariners have benefited from that quite a bit themselves. But um, I think they've they've been doing much better than you would expect. But they still are, like, they're they're winning at, like, a, a... 
they have like a 700, you know, it's like, it's a lot, but they still are thought to be, you know, have like a six something. So it's like, it's better, but it's not so much better that you're not like, oh, this is a good team. So it sucks for the Mariners because they've played like 500 ball since their really, really hot streak. And normally that would be enough. So I don't know. It's going to be tight. It's good to have some drama. You don't want all the, the playoff races in the AL to be sewn up by July. That's pretty boring. Well, they, they they almost all are, isn't it? It's really just the second wild card. It's just the second point. wild card. But for a while, it looked like they were all sorted. You know, I, like a moron, wrote that or something to that effect. And then the Mariners immediately lost five games while we were in Denver. But then they came back a little bit, and now it's getting tight again. So, you know, there's a lot of baseball left to play, as they say. But it's good that there are a few more races, or at least one race in the AL that is not sewn up. I guess the the Red Sox and the Yankees could trade places a couple of times before it's all said and done, but we know it'll be one of those two teams, so that's less exciting. So I guess it's just the NL East, really, right? What's going on in the NL Central? Oh, I guess that's true. I guess What's going on in the NL West? I guess, yeah, but you like know who the, yeah, okay, fine. So the NL is <laughs> a lot more interesting. The NL is more interesting, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That Dodgers team, back to being the Dodgers. Those yeah, they're jerks. They're good. They're good. Uh, Meg, I think I should probably edit one or two of these pieces. I'm feeling compelled to do so. Yeah, that's but, fair. But you know what? I'm going to call uh, David Appleman back, and then if you would like some assistance, I could probably jump in, or I can write my own words. You decide what you want, and I'll do it, Carson. All right. Well, why don't you talk to David Appleman? And, and then, then we we'll can go, go from, from there. there. It could last forever. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey. Well, this has been delightful. Yeah, it has been. Yeah. Hey, thanks for thanks for sharing your views in this wide-ranging, irreverent conversation. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, I know that it's really controversial to dislike Nazis, but someone had to say it. Someone had to say it. Someone had to say it. It's important. Someone other than yeah. Steven Spielberg. Yeah. It's me and Steven. That's it. <laughs> to... Louis Sackar, I think. Probably, sure. Did he write Number of the Stars, maybe? Or, mm-hmm. that, or did he write Way, Wayside School? I think he wrote the Wayside School stories. I don't think he wrote Number of the Stars. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. Who's Number of the Stars by? Louis Lowry. It's a different person. Different person entirely. Lois, Lois Lowry. Lois, didn't, didn't Lois Lowry also write The Giver? Is that the same person? Could very well be. Who wrote The Giver? That's another book that probably, in hindsight, is like, yeah, Nazi's bad. Giver. Lois Lowry. Yeah. I remember stuff. Yep. That book will mess you up as a kid. Thank you so much, Meg Rally. Thank you. This has been Meg Rally, managing editor of The Hardball Times. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>